Welcome to another episode of This Engineering Life, the undergraduate series. This episode is about Greek life. What does Greek life mean at Duke? What prompts students to join a Greek-affiliated organization? How can you balance rush and Greek life activities with the engineering workload? We will talk to engineering students in fraternities and sororities and to Professor Michael Gustafson to get their opinions and insights. In later episodes, we'll also explore other social options like SLGs and independent living for students. But listen now for insights on Greek life and more. So what prompted your decision to join Greek Life and did you come into Duke knowing you would want to join a Greek organization? I guess my reasoning for joining a Greek group was I went to an all-girls high school and really liked that environment. And so from that, I saw in sororities I could get a similar experience for that. And going into first semester, I still didn't really know. I was like, maybe SLGs, maybe Greek Life. But the like pathway to joining a Greek organization is a little bit more set than SLGs, like a little more straightforward. So that I was just like, you know, what? I'll do this. And then, yeah, join that. And I hadn't really yeah, been thinking coming into college, but... I was glad I did. I have a twin sister who goes to another university and they do their rush in the fall. So she had just joined Greek life. Um, So I was kind of able to see how she'd been able to expand like her social horizons and like meet new people through the organization. And when it came to SLG rush at the time, I still didn't really understand what SLGs were. And I would ask people, it would be kind of a vague description and I just felt like I didn't really get a good handle on what it was. And so for me, I knew I wanted to do something to expand my horizons and meet new people. I didn't really understand SLGs, so I just joined Greek life. When I came into Duke, I had no idea. I barely knew what a sorority was. Um, so I kind of just heard about it first semester. And then um, when it came time to rush, because so many people were doing it, I was like, why not? Um, but yeah, I was definitely blindsided. It was not the best process, but I'm really glad I did it. How, how does being an engineer affect that? Because you have a lot of work, yeah. so that's two intense weekends. Um, I think I was probably behind the entire semester because of those two weekends. And I never caught up, like especially like in multivariable. I was always catching up just because those two weekends put me so behind. And then also the like joining the sorority was a whole like ordeal. And there were so many events right at the beginning. So definitely was tough. Yeah. What does it mean to be an engineer in a sorority to you? It's just another opportunity to um, kind of show who I am and kind of be myself. And so I think that a lot of people would assume, you know, like when I first got here, I kind of freaked out because everyone was like, oh, like, If you're in Pratt, like, you're not going to really get to have a life. Like, that was kind of what older kids who were in Trinity kind of said to me um, when I I first got here, and I kind of freaked out. Um, And I would definitely say that that's not the case. I mean, I feel like now that I'm involved in um, different things, which I wasn't as much first semester, I'm much happier. um, And I feel like I've actually been able to do better academically once I have more of a balance. Um, So I would say... Being in a sorority as an engineer just kind of means um, having another opportunity to be myself and like show to other girls that you can be involved in anything like STEM, uh, humanities, otherwise, and you don't have to fit a certain mold. 
Yeah, but I mean, also being an engineer, like talking to other women in engineering within the sorority, there's this connection that I do, I never understood, but it's there of like, we know what it's like to work hard and be like in a very male dominated uh, field that we're trying to get into. And so there's this bond that I love having within the sorority. Do you find that there's a solid representation of Pratt in Greek life? I've actually been really pleased with my sorority because I feel like there have been a lot of girls who are involved in Greek life. Um, and I've become like close with girls in all grades who are engineers. And it's been really cool, like asking girls for advice and everything, like texting older girls, um, for advice about different classes, like, um, majors, all of that stuff. And I feel like I wouldn't have met a lot of those people had they not been in Greek life. I would say within my sorority, there aren't a ton of engineers. And so, I mean, at points it makes it fun because those of us who are engineers really like bond together. But there were a number of people who joined at least my year who were engineers and have dropped since. And I don't know whether it was because of like workload or financial things. But yeah, I have noticed that there are definitely a lower percentage of engineers in the sorority than there are. What would you say is the best part about being in a Greek organization and then also the worst? I would definitely say that the opportunity to like get to meet new people um, in a bunch of different domains has been my favorite part because I feel like I've become like close friends with people who I never would have met otherwise um, in my grade and in other grades, which has been really awesome. And I think the worst part is just probably I would I would say the, just the fact that maybe in some ways you can be kind of socially constrained to your organization. And I would say that sometimes based on what organization you're in, people make judgments on your character and what you might be interested in and how you are as a person, which I would say like I don't enjoy. One thing I love about being in a sorority, which ties into engineering is it really does like plan out something for your social life, which I appreciate not having to have to take the time and initiative to like find out when things are happening. It's just like, I get, Things that are happening, I can choose to show up if I like want to and have time or if I'm super busy, I can be like, oh, not this week, but I know that I'll still have things in future weeks. So I really appreciate that. And I guess downsides, since it is tied to an international organization, you have to do a lot more like silly things that you're like, I don't know why I'm doing this. And whereas like maybe SLG, since they formed their own like organizations, they don't have to do things like that. Um, I would say the best thing for me is I've met phenomenal girls throughout all um, the years at Duke, like the sophomores, seniors, like all of them, and um, especially engineers. I've met some of the greatest engineer women I've ever met, and they've guided me so much, whether it's like what classes to take or thing, opportunities to look at. And because they've gone through so much and experienced things, they're like, all right, do this, but make sure not to do this. Like, and just try out all these things. And so that's been the best part. And probably the worst part has been, well, you, yeah, you're given a label as someone in authority. And I feel like we go to a school that is pretty judgmental. And whether it's like about specific careers or social groups. So, yeah, the label hasn't been the greatest thing. And people just assume a lot based on like your authority. What prompted your decision to join Greek Life and did you come into Duke knowing you would want to be in a Greek organization? So my dad was um, in an organization at another school. He had a really good experience and he didn't push me to join Greek, but he definitely told me about the benefits and the parts that he enjoyed. So coming to Duke, that was something that I was definitely looking for. And after rushing, I felt like that was, you know, the decision I wanted to make. Neither of my parents were in Greek Life. 
And growing up in my state, the experiences I had seen with Greek life were pretty negative um, and pretty like I was I was very convinced when I got here that I did not want to be part of Greek life. Um, but then just from the people I met here, I quickly realized Greek life here is very different than it is at a lot of other places and is a lot more accepting of uh, your your hobbies, your interests, your activities, uh, your personal identities than a lot of other places are. Do you think that there was any influence the engineering part of it, or any worry about the workload and balance? I felt like during the process of joining the fraternity, you know, um, the rush process, I met a lot of engineers um, in the organization. Um, so I got a chance to ask them what their experience was like, and they all had positive things to say. Um, so that put me at ease a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, I think for me, one of the things I realized was Different groups had different approaches to the way they supported each other in their studies and then the, the, the academic pursuits each individual had. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were some groups that I felt like if I were to join, I'd feel very comfortable uh, pursuing engineering with. And there were others that I really didn't feel like mm-hmm. I would have that support network within, within the organization. So, so what is the rush process? I know nothing other than movies that I've seen. And that's probably not super representative, is it? Um, I think that it's actually a really interesting process because you get to see um, not only like the class directly above you, which is generally the class you're interacting with most during the process um, of, of recruitment, um, but also like the older guys in that organization. You can kind of see what people end up doing. Like a lot of um, our organization has a lot of engineers historically, so you can kind of see like where they end up working and like the connections start to build from there. Um, so it's not only a social thing. There's also sort of like the professional connections that happens. You're trying to see how good your fit is with the group, and they're trying to see how good you would fit within the group. It's just, it's a very, very social time, but you get to meet a lot of people that you wouldn't have normally had exposure to or just who just come from different walks of life within the Duke campus. Yeah. So like social, is this, is, yeah, is this like parties? Is it mostly parties or are there no. other things? So there are other, so like there'll be like a sports day where everybody gets together and like plays uh, basketball or That's soccer fun. or something. Mm-hmm. Um, there's semi-formal dinners, so you'll go out to like a nice dinner and then maybe after have like drinks or, um, yeah. you know, there might be a party. Mm-hmm. Um, it just depends on the organization, what they want to do. So did you feel pressured during that time to be something that you weren't in any way? For me, I think I felt it maybe a little bit, but I think one of the things I started to realize was I felt that less and less with the groups that I was genuinely finding common ground with and common uh, backgrounds with. On a previous episode, we talked about how basketball Duke is something that unifies the culture here. Would you say that Greek life negatively impacts the Duke culture? Do you think it's dividing or unifying? I do think just groups in general kind of have a negative effect on the overall Duke community, um, whether it be Greek life, whether it be SLGs. Um, I think I think it does help you form, or I guess I shouldn't, I, I have found that it has helped me uh make connections with people that I have more in common with. But I've also been in instances where I feel like like I, I meet someone through some random event and I'm like, dang, how, how is it that we just met? Like, I wish I wish we would have had more opportunities to have run into each other on campus. So I sort of subscribe to the belief that like Greek is great, but it does limit who you meet. I don't know if there's a solution to that necessarily, um, but I think it's important that in joining a Greek organization, you don't lose sight of the friends that you had beforehand, especially like the geographic separation. That was a big problem. 
I think there's systems at other universities where uh, the, the students are blocked into groups of like four or 500, 600 people. Um, I think that could be something that's really cool. Like they're co-ed, they're a mix of people from different backgrounds and from different majors and everything. And it's kind of pseudo randomly organized by by the university. And I, and I think, I mean, at the end of the day, it's going to cause the same problems any of these selective housing groups are going to cause. You're going to become really good friends with the people within your college, but your interactions with the other colleges is going to be limited. Yeah. But again, I think the sort of randomness that goes into that gives you the opportunity to interact with a wide group of people and a very diverse group of people and find friends that you normally wouldn't if you were to just join whatever fraternity you clicked with the most. So is there financial aid? I mean, what about people that just cannot afford that? That seems for unlimited. At least speaking for my own organization, there is a very substantial financial aid package. And we allocate a certain amount of money every year towards financial aid. And if for whatever reason we were to go over that package, we we would go over that allocation and someone still needed financial aid, we'd make it work. So you do you accept blindly or do you know if the person can afford to go in? Blindly. And it's and it's one of those things like if you need help, if something changes, like we care a lot more about having you at our events and being able to interact with you and uh, have you be a part of the group than we care about the the dues that you're not paying. Okay. So, And I think a lot of organizations would have the same stance, yeah, yeah especially do. Uh, Hello, my name is Michael Gustafson. I'm an associate professor of the practice of electrical and computer engineering at Duke and also a Duke alum from the class of 93. We have a lot of overlap and a lot of things in common. We were both undergrads here, both graduate students here, both teaching here. There's one difference. Well, I guess there are a couple differences, but one of the big differences, I know nothing about sororities, fraternities, but you know quite a bit. Can you tell us about your involvement? Sure. So uh, even though I wasn't a member as an undergraduate, I did end up getting initiated into Kaisai fraternity as an adult in 2012, and since then have served as the faculty and chapter advisor for the Duke chapter. We call them alphas. So if I ever say Alpha Sigma Delta, that's the Duke chapter of Kaisai. And for the past year, I've served on the executive council of the national fraternity. What prompted you to get involved in the fraternity? So before that time, I had been an advisor for a couple different groups. I was never a member, uh, but was their faculty advisor. And it, it was interesting, but what I discovered later by being initiated is that there's so much more that you know, so much more that you can do, uh, so much deeper an experience that you can have by actually being a member. And so in uh, 2012, there were some students of mine who said that their group was looking for an advisor, and there just happened to be several engineers in the organization at the time. So they'd all had me for class, um, invited me to a lunch, invited me to a dessert night, and then just over the course of the semester built up a relationship until finally they asked if I would be willing to serve as their advisor, but also if I would be interested in being initiated. What does an advisor to a fraternity do? So there's two main roles. There's a chapter advisor and there's a faculty advisor. And so the chapter advisor is really meant to be a member of the fraternity and is kind of the link between the active membership and the national office. And so they should know what goes on with the fraternity. They should be able to attend initiation and any ritual events. But they don't necessarily have to be a member of the university community. The faculty advisor doesn't necessarily have to be a member of the fraternity, but they should be a member of the university community. And so they serve as a connection between the undergraduates and the institution. And for Kaisai at Duke, 
that person has been the same ever since the founding in 1989 when Dr. Dale Randall, who was a professor of English, was both the chapter and faculty advisor. We've talked to a lot of students about whether they think Greek life positively or negatively impacts the Duke culture. I was wondering if you have any opinions on that sense. Sure. So I think that, you know, as in all things, the answer is both, um, that there are, there are inherent aspects of Greek life that are positive for the collegiate experience in terms of uh, forming strong connections, having uh, a shared history that people can be initiated into and understand. Um, but also, I mean, whenever you have a group of more than two people, the groupthink mentality can come into play. And if left unchecked, you can have a group do terrible things collectively that they would never think of doing individually. And so, you know, my sense is that there, there is no question that there have been Greek organizations that have done terrible things in a lot of different ways and on a lot of different campuses. Um, and certainly we've seen of late the, the extremes in those cases where there have been pledges and brothers and sisters of organizations who have died as a result of um, you know, alcohol abuse, um, as a result of all kinds of, of problems. So there, there is no question that there are flaws. Um, I think the question that needs to be answered and the discussion that needs to be had is that an inherent property of Greek organizations or is it something where we just need to do a much better job of eliminating those to the maximum extent possible in order for the best parts of fraternal life to shine through? As a faculty advisor, are there things that you personally have tried to put in place or other people that mentor the Greek community to alleviate those concerns? I think part of it is just the notion of the degree of empathy that you need, so especially for a fraternity as an all-male organization. So all but one of the Duke fraternities are all-male. And the notion of not having a diversity of point of views when you're thinking about maybe even something as, as simple as a party theme and really trying to put it through a filter of not just a bunch of dudes in a room thinking what would be an enjoyable party theme for them, right? Have, have the idea about what would someone who's not you think about it. And that could be someone who's not your you know, your sexuality, your gender, your ethnic background, your socioeconomic, you know, try to look through all those lenses and think about how is this going to strike somebody? Um, Because, you know, the First Amendment comes into play and you can say, oh, we can have this party. Like, nobody can stop us from having this party. Well, sure. But also, you can't stop anybody from thinking you're a schmuck for doing it. And, you know, maybe you should think about that. So that's been part of it, is just trying to to have them think a little bit outside of, of the bubble to figure out how their actions are actually going to impact people. So I took a course for teaching equity fellows, and part of it was the notion that intent is lovely and all, but the important thing is impact. And so you really need to think about how those things impact people. Would you say that on Duke's campus specifically, there's a solid diversity in Greek life and it goes to everything that you mentioned, like sexuality, socioeconomic status, et cetera, and also engineering? So I don't actually know for engineering. I mean, there's there's been a joke that Kaisai must be an engineering fraternity because I'm the advisor, and I, I try to point to the fact that their initial advisor was an English professor. Um, we, we're about the same demographic from engineering in Trinity as the university is at this point. Um, I, so I don't know if, if there is a difference in that. Certainly socioeconomically, being a member of a Greek organization is expensive. Um, and the, it ranges organization by organization, but uh, there, there are insurance costs um, that end up getting covered. There's also money to do things collectively. So part of the great thing about being in a selective group or a fraternal organization is that you do have pooled resources 
that you can pull off larger charity or philanthropy events, or you can, there's just different things that you can end up doing for programming that you couldn't do if it was just individuals. But that makes it expensive. And by and large, most groups either have no form of financial aid or relatively limited. Um, so certainly the university does not give money to students to join um, different organizations like that. And the organizations themselves um, might put some aside if, if they can. I know we do. But it's still not enough to, we can't pay for everything um, sort of thing. So that necessarily imposes a, a socioeconomic barrier uh, to joining organizations. Um, I would say in terms of, you know, other other demographics, I mean, certainly there's there's the gender issue um, at play because other than there's one uh, co-educational organization, which is Sai Upsilon, and then as far as I know, every other Greek letter fraternity-based organization is either all, all male-identified or all female-identified. Um, in terms of sexuality, I mean, certainly who people choose to love should not be in any way, shape, or form any kind of barrier in terms of joining those organizations. Um, they, I know they aren't for us, but I, I won't pretend to speak for you know every organization on campus. Um, it's certainly been an issue. I remember on Duke's campus when I was an undergraduate, um, but that's you know the dark ages. So um, it, you know all of that has has gotten better. It's not that it's perfect uh, by any stretch, um, but yeah, I mean there's certainly going to be differences in that just in terms of even the notion that among fraternities and sororities, Duke does have the historically um, African-African-American fraternities and sororities, and those will decidedly have a larger number of our African-African-American students in it than the university population. And what that means is that those people will not be in what I guess would be termed the historically white Greek organizations. Okay, so you, uh, your involvement with the fraternity and you teach multiple classes during the spring. So you see students within your fraternity, but also students in general going through rush process. Do you have thoughts and advice on getting through rush? Yeah, so I think, I mean, rush is, it, it's complicated from the standpoint that it's a very concentrated period during which you're supposed to figure out which people you want to spend the next seven semesters of your life with. Um, and I, I very much appreciate that Duke does deferred rush because I would hate to think that you're supposed to spend the first two weeks of your collegiate life figuring out who you're supposed to spend the next eight semesters with. So I, I love the deferred system. Um, I really think the Office of Student Leadership does a great job of making it so that first-year students get to have a sense of themselves before they're asked to start looking at selective groups and um, you know fraternal organizations and things like that. But because of the education process that comes on, there's not a huge amount of time at the beginning of the semester to get to know people. And you know Duke fortunately has lots of different kinds of fraternity experiences that people can go through. So trying to meet those groups that fast, um, it, it really can be super hectic. Now, fortunately, it's at the beginning of the semester when most classes haven't totally spun up yet. Um, but certainly for second semester men and women who are choosing to tent and choosing to potentially join a fraternal organization or rush a selective living group who are in their second semester, it, it, the first couple weeks of the semester can be a bit of a mess, especially if weather comes in. So last year, part of the events got snowed out, which causes problems because of how dense uh, the events are. Are there any resources for anyone engaging in Fraternity Rush? I know for Sorority Rush, for example, I'm a Gamma Chi, meaning 
I'm an older sorority member who disaffiliates and helps the freshmen or sophomores go through the rush process, and I just answer any questions they have. Are there any resources like that for anyone going through fraternity rush? Or things out, even outside of the fraternity that you recommend as resources? So certainly, I mean, the Office of Student Leadership, when it got created, it added fraternity life, it added the, the student leadership offices, and, and really to kind of make it clearer that there are so many different organizations that that do leadership, but that also have intake and, and whatnot. I don't know of anything specific that's like that that assists people. I mean, certainly the the active members of the various chapters should be helping people, but there's also, unlike the Gamma Chi idea, they're trying to get them into their own group more than mm-hmm. more than just trying to say, here's this um, here's this institution with several different possible outlets, and we can help you generally. It's more like we can totally help you join us. Um, and, and again, the OSL staff, they do great work, but as with most parts of the university, th- they have probably slightly fewer people than they really need to be able to more fully expand on what services they could provide. So uh, not that I know of. Mm-hmm. What if someone doesn't get into, they go through the rush process and they are not matched with a fraternity or sorority? Do you have recommendations on on what to do Next? Yeah, so I think so with the fraternity the fraternity part is is different from the sorority part. And with the fraternity part, there's an official bid day. And what'll happen is uh the the people that that rushed and and matched with someone will get their bids. They turn them in and there we sometimes that people get a bid to a group they like and they'll accept it. There are sometimes they will only get bids to groups that they're they've decided not to join. Uh so they they won't execute a bid. There are some people that don't get bids um, for lots of different reasons, um, none of which should make someone feel badly about themselves just because it's, it's, a, it's a chaotic you know, process. Um, for folks that don't end up getting into a group that, really, that they really wanted to, um, there, there are several different things. I mean, first is there are so many different opportunities on campus to, to make friends, to be in social groups, to, you know, to, to really um, – suck the marrow out of life, if you will, in terms of the university, that to be single focused on one group and then allow not getting into it to really um, negatively impact what the rest of your experience is, is unfortunate just because there's so many other things to do and so many other people to hang out with. Um, with you know 5,000 plus undergraduates, the notion of being able to find another group based on what your major is or based on what your hobbies are or based on what your artistic interests are or there's there's other places to go um to get that same sense of of belongingness so i would i would say you know if it if that part of it doesn't work out like don't let that stop you from continuing to want to be and working to be a a a member of the university community because when we invited you to be here that's what we wanted for you any other highlights or lowlights from fraternity? You've mentioned quite a few of them. Any final remarks? I think for me, the thing that I didn't expect that I've really enjoyed is the the national connections that I've made. So just the notion that for for a fraternal organization, that if I go to Berkeley, California, or if I go to Oxford, Mississippi, or if I go to any place that has a Kaisai, um, or meet anyone who is a Kaisai, that even if we don't know each other at all, we at least know some things about our organization and the history of it and, you know, the initiation and all those processes. And it's just a really great starting point for having a conversation. Um, There's clear love for the organization that comes into play in a variety of different ways, whether it's uh, time, talent, or treasure. 
the fraternity just got a $10 million gift um, from T. Danny Sanford and another offer from him to match another $10 million if people donate to the organization. So um, that's just been a transformational challenge given to the fraternity in terms of both matching the money, but then really being a shepherd of $30 million, which is incredible. Um, but yeah, for me, I would say that the, the unexpected highlight has been the friendships that I've made for people that I never would have met at campuses that I never would have visited. That's um, just been really special. Even bigger than Duke. Much bigger. Yeah, it's, it's, it's incredible. Well, and the other part is it helps inform what I do at Duke because now I can talk to students at Georgia Tech or NC State or Carolina or all these other places and ask them what their undergraduate experiences are like and figure out which parts we can add to ours or which parts are simply part and partial of the uniqueness of their campus. That was really interesting hearing the stories about the fraternities and sororities. Yeah, it was really great to hear about everyone's different experiences with Greek life on campus. And it seemed like a lot of them had positive experiences, but kind of one of the common themes that we were hearing is that it does tend to be a lot of work, especially when you're in engineering and right at the beginning of the spring semester when everyone's going through rush and whether you're rushing or Uh, someone who's already on the other side of Rush, it still tends to be a lot of work that you need to recover from. My experiences with sororities and fraternities and SLGs and social groups as an undergrad when I was here and also now is fairly limited. So I've been learning a lot. And some of the things that um, have surprised me, I'm I'm very happy that the, the students felt supported that that did not want to drink or feel pressured into drinking. And, and that's not necessarily a stereotype that you, you hear. My first experience, though, was I remember back being a freshman here at Duke way back when and sitting in a material science class freshman year and getting our first exam back. And the student next to me, I look over, he gets the exam back and had got a third. And I was just in shock. And then when he was telling me the stories, he was a a ROTC student, engineering student. But what really made the difference was Rush. And he was telling me about his experiences and no time to study. And it sounds like a lot of these students are in similar boats. So it is a lot of trade-offs to be a part of part of this. But what I'm also really excited about is to hear what other social options are. And we've already started interviewing some of these students that are living independently or in SLGs. Um, I like hearing all the different sides. I think it's really great to know that regardless of what you're in, there are a lot of good options for your social community at Duke, whether that's through an organization or through independently, and then seeing how engineering kind of works into that and where communities exist within engineering is something I'm excited to explore. Some of the other things that we haven't talked much about is gender and also race. I've had conversations with my friends and other people outside of this podcast, and it is a pretty common general opinion that Greek life at Duke is not very racially diverse. And again, that's something that we didn't really 
hit on in these interviews or a topic that didn't come up. And we didn't really discuss about how you identify gender versus what you were born as and sexual orientation. So these are more topics of diversity that are definitely prominent in all of these social organizations, but that did not come up through interviews. So I think it's important to dedicate a whole new episode to it. I 100% agree with that. Engineering Life is brought to you by the Pratt School of Engineering at Duke University. A special thanks to all of our interviewees for lending your thoughts and experiences with Greek life. Also, thank you to Dr. Gustafson for your wisdom and expertise. Our senior producer is Dr. Rebecca Simmons. Our senior editor and engineer is Michael A. Betts II. Our theme music is by Ben Sound, and today additional musical support was by Johnny Easton and Asha Malouev Music. Be sure to check back in two weeks for another episode continuing the conversation on social life at Duke by heading to thisengineeringlife.com. I'm Ellie Smith. And I'm Becca Norman. And this has been This Engineering Life. See you again soon.